Welcome to Power Players in Business and Life with Adrian Richardson, the show where brilliant leaders in business share powerful insider secrets and strategies to succeeding in life and business. Now, here's your host, Adrian. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Adrian Richardson, founder of the Power Players in Business and Life podcast, where I get the honor of interviewing fascinating, big-hearted people who have brilliant minds. This episode is brought to you by PowerPlay Media. PowerPlay Media specializes in creating highly profitable and scalable Facebook and Instagram ads by strategically delivering the right message to a qualified market. Businesses that want to achieve sustainable growth and profitability hire PowerPlay Media for their notable marketing expertise. They offer a premium done-for-you lead gen service for businesses at a million in revenue or more, as well as a top-notch mastermind for business owners who want to scale to seven figures and beyond. For more information about their services, visit wearepowerplay.com today. And now, let me tell you all about today's guest. Kevin Waldron is the founder of Waldron Leadership, a business coaching and consulting company that helps business owners get to that next level of performance. An experienced entrepreneur, Kevin started and grew a $24 million a year disaster restoration company with over 200 employees and five offices before selling his business to a national franchise. He's based in Nevada, California. Kevin now works with business owners around the world to grow their results. In 2015, he pioneered the Kilimanjaro Project, a life leadership program that had him take a client to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Kevin's also the author of the upcoming book, Look, How High Performers Change How They See the World to Create a Life Worth Living. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the show. Adrian, great to be with you. So I, you know, just shared with the audience how you are a power player when it comes to growing and expanding companies. And I'd love to know more about your story with the disaster restoration company. Like you pretty much started that on a shoestring budget with nothing, right? Uh, yeah, pretty close to nothing. I had, what did I have? I had, I think I had $1,000 in the bank, enough money for my, my first month's rent uh, and some equipment, and that was it. Away, away we went. <laughs> wow. So with it, did you already work in that industry before and you were kind of going out on your own, or what got you started with the disaster restoration? Yeah, you know what I did, um, as, you can, as your listeners can probably figure out, I'm not from America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came here in 1985, um, and I basically worked for a guy for two years, um, kind of learning the ropes. And he was selling his company. He decided to take off to Miami, Florida. Um, and I thought, I wonder if I could start this by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I was too dumb to know that, that I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> But I kind of looked around at how he did it, um, which was actually not so well. And I thought, all you, all you really need to do, and it sounds so cliche in this country, but what you really need is an idea. And if you show up and work hard, you beat like 90% of the people out there. Um, so that's just kind of, I just got it up and running and, and away I went. Yeah. And I know um, I've heard your story. It's been many years since I heard it. So hopefully I remember properly, but what I remember most about when I first met you and you shared your story about how you grew that company was there was some really specific things that you did with people, like how you led them, how you, um, systems you put in place. Like I'd love to hear uh, for our audience to hear about that. Like 
like some specific things that you did that you think were directly re- contributed to the growth of the company? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it is because it's a, if you want to grow your business, it really does come down to two things. It comes down to people and it comes down to systems. Um, mm-hmm. um, for me, the people I figured out very early, if I wanted to have a, if I didn't want to have a job and I wanted to have a company, then that meant that the people that worked with me, we had to have some buy-in. I mean, there had to be a reason for them to be there beyond just getting a paycheck. Mm. Um, so right from the beginning, um, and I even teach this to clients now, I, I, I think, well, here's, here's a good one for you. I think as the leader of a business, your people need to know three things. They need to know, um, they need to know why they're there. So they need to know this is the job that we have for you inside this company, this is why you're here. Um, mm. This is what the job is. This is what it does. This is what the company's up to. And then this is your role in fulfilling on that. So they can really tie it to, here's how my contribution affects the whole. And then they also need to know what's in it for them, right? I mean, at a real base level. And beyond just a paycheck and you know benefits and all that stuff, what do they get for and working with you? Why, why choose you versus any of the other billion companies that somebody could choose to work for? So mm-hmm. right from the beginning, I wanted to, I wanted to take care of my people. I wanted to challenge them too, right? I mean, it was we were a small company, so everybody had to be in their own boat rowing along. But mm-hmm. yeah, challenging people and loving them, right? I mean, that's not a language words that most people use in business, but like. My people knew I gave a crap about them right from the start, which yeah. was super important. Um, and then systems, oh my God. Um, I was so fortunate. I, I took a, just a seminar I'd never heard of like two months before I started my business. And the guy said, um, if you have to be there every day to open the door and then close the door at night, that's not a business, that's a job. Yeah. <laughs> kind of scared the crap out of me. Because, Ouch, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I was willing to work hard, but I didn't want a job. I actually wanted to build a business. And right. his thing was, it's, it's all about systems. Um, and systems for me are just, you know, in layman's terms, it's a predictable way to produce a result. So mm-hmm. we spent the first two or three years just mapping out, okay, what are the systems that we need for the, 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 the stage of life cycle that we're in right now? So for example, systems that we had that, you know, 500,000 a year in sales were totally obsolete by the time we got to $3 million in sales. Right. You had to keep evolving and yeah, right. adjusting the systems as you grew. Yeah, totally. Constantly tweaking, adjusting to fit whatever game you were in right now. So there are, I'm just, I'm taking so many notes right now. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing that I I love that you said, you know, you need to challenge people and you need to love them. And like you said, that's not really that popular um, language that you hear people use when they talk about business and their people. And I remember when you were telling, um, talking about this at the event that we were at and the story that you shared was about, you know, no matter what job people had at the company, no matter if they were like, for a lack of better terms, like the low man on the totem pole, or maybe mm-hmm. he just has like a minimum wage position or something, right? Like you painted a picture so clearly for them of even if they weren't, you know, a manager or a, a, um, 
a foreman on a job or something, that their role was, in, it, what they had to do was important at the company. And, and, and you point, painted the picture of how it was important for the success of the company. I think you shared a story about someone who their job was like to clean up maybe like bolts or something off the yeah. ground because they were getting the tires. Could, I'd love for you to share that story because that really spoke to me um, when you talked about how you, you know, motivated even the people who may have maybe janitors or, you know, don't have like a, um, a mission. They think they don't have a mission important role, but you do that so well of painting the picture for people of how their role is important to the mission. That's, that's so funny. You remember that. <laughs> Um, and it's, and it's true. And what the, what the story was, was, you know, you've got all these people in your company and you've got the high flyers and the salespeople and the managers and blah, blah, blah. And we essentially said everybody counts like, you know, high flying ticket sales guys. Um, you guys don't get a paycheck if the janitors don't clean up the stuff in the back, right? Um, mm. or if the carpenters aren't out there. And this one guy in particular, his job so we did disaster restoration. So the, the trucks would come back in at the end of the night and they would be full of debris, right? So they'd go to the, the dumpsters in the back of the yard and they'd throw all their junk in the dumpsters. Well, invariably, you know, it's construction, right? So like nails and debris would fall mm -hmm. in the, outside the dumpster. And this one guy's job, his job every morning at 7 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. before him to go there was to take a giant rolling magnet, like, like a, almost like a big broom, but it was a magnet. Mm -hmm. Take this magnet over the parking lot and pick up all the nails. And we explained to him that if you don't do that job properly, then that means that when the trucks come in, we're going to get a flat tire. And right. if we get a flat tire, that means we're not going to be able, that truck's not going to be able to go and service the customers. The guy that drives that truck's not going to be able to uh, make money working that day or he's going to make less money because we have to take the, fix the tire. Mm -hmm. So getting him to buy into, let's say we had a sales goal of you know $2 million that month, to get the guy that rolled the magnet around, to get him to see that his contribution in that $2 million was every bit as important as, as the guy that sold $2 million worth of work that month. Um, wow. And to not just pay lip service to it, but to actually really mean it, right? Yeah. And I, th I think it just, it was baked into everything that we did. Yeah. I love, I, I love that story because like you said, everybody counts and a good leader can come alongside of his people and make sure that every person in the company knows why they're there, the importance of that role, how it applies to the bottom line, like all of those things that you just said. And I think that unfortunately, a lot of business owners overlook that and they are looking at like, oh, I need to go and support my top sales guy, you know, or I need to go support, do this for this business. And they're, they're focused on maybe the positions and roles in the company that are directly related to generating revenue without yeah. realizing that all of those positions affect the ability to generate revenue in the company. And when you can do that, that's how you get buy-in, right? Like that's how you get a minimum <laughs> wage worker or someone who thinks they're unimportant to to treat this not just like a job, but like something that really matters. Yeah. I mean, we, we would have people that would go through walls for us because they knew that we knew what it took to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, another quick example was um, the accounting department, right? And I'm an entrepreneur to the bone, right? So for me, it's like, how do we grow? How do we scale? You know, so I love the sales aspect and I love mm -hmm. the revenue. Um, 
But the people in the accounting department, uh, one time they were getting pissed off because the sales guys weren't filling out their expense reports on time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> That's very common, unfortunately. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm laughing. And we had to, I had to kind of lay down the law and say to the sales guys, if you don't tell me your, your sales expense reports on time, you're not going to get paid because it's disrespectful to the accounting department to have to come and chase you, you know, down mm-hmm. the street to try and get you to turn on your paperwork on time. And when I was willing to do that, the buy-in that you get then from the accounting department is they go, yeah, we make a difference. You know, we're not just right. the paper pushers in the background. That's how we generate revenue and keep the company financially strong. Yeah, I think that, like you said, when you um, put boundaries or restrictions in place, like one of the things that I always say is like, you don't have any standards at your company if there's not a consequence for not meeting the standard. Yeah, that's right? right. Like companies yeah. will say like, oh, we have standards, we have high standards, we have this and that. But if there's no consequence in place for not meeting the standard, then really you have no standards. Then you have no, and, exactly. Right. And the message you'd be giving to those accountants that are trying to do their job, if it's like, well, you know, because here's the thing, salespeople, I love salespeople, but people who are attracted to sales um, typically are kind of like, you're driven, ambitious, go-getters, but they're not often like pay attention to detail data kind of people. And so what happens a lot of, at companies is where they'll, they, they kind of bow down to the salespeople because they're the ones generating revenue and they don't want to upset them or push them too hard. But what that does when you allow that to happen is like you just said, it creates the people who can't do their job because of that. It makes them feel almost like disrespected or unimportant. Yeah. And so by you creating that boundary and the consequence, you're saying this matters and this is more, you know, this is just as important and these other people are just as important. So I love that. So um, other things you mentioned was systems. So I just wanted to touch on a base on that for a minute because I feel like systems is kind of an S word to some people, like a four letter <laughs> word <laughs> right. to some business owners. Um, they, systems to some people um, almost feels like the other S word, like sales, you know, like, oh, and you know, it's so much work and it's boring. We have to do this and that. And, but it's so important. And so I'm wondering what you could share about how systems can create freedom instead of kind of being like this annoying thing that you have to do. That's, that's great. And I loved how you just put that. So here's an easy way. Um, if you want to make money and you don't want to be tearing your hair out and working 14 hours a day, you better learn to love systems because mm-hmm. systems is going to get you the freedom that you want. Um, it's funny. I was, I had a, um, somebody I was working with last year and they were putting a conference together and they were trying to do um, a mixture of big businesses and a mixture of small businesses like the CEOs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the selling point, I said, what you want to talk about is, the reality is all small business people look up at big business people and say, God, we want to be like that. Um, how do you get there? And the answer is they, they systematize their businesses as they go bigger. And then the flip side is the big business guys look at the little businesses and they're secretly like, well, how do we get small again? Because when we were small, we were spontaneous. We took care of people. We took risks. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. this big bureaucracy. So how do you find that spot in the middle? Because if you want to grow, let's say you're doing $400,000 a year, the, the difference between $400,000 a year in sales and getting to a million, it's flat out systems. Um, and again, systems does not have to be this 
dry, monotonous, oh my God, you're trying to turn me into the government. No, it's just like, <laughs> you know, there's certain processes that we need to do. For example, I love this one. Um, the phrase, uh, would you like cheese with that, adds a billion dollars a year to the economy. Yeah. So when you go into McDonald's, they've trained people as part of the process. You know, I, I want a burger. Would you like cheese with that? Well, not everybody does, but they ask you that question every single time you go on. Maybe not McDonald's, but maybe yeah. another chain. Um, and that, that's, that's a system. Right? I mean, right. it's as simple as that. It's a predictable way of producing a result that you want to have. Um, and I just, I, yeah, I'm all in for them. And you can have them be as simple as bullet point checklists. They can be really, you know, elaborate and convoluted. Um, but they, they don't have to be. And they're, they're, your, they're your ticket to freedom. Yeah, I, I think that if people could look at it that way, you know, you said earlier, you know, that you wanted to run a company, you didn't want a job. And if people can change their perspective and their mindset around systems and look at it as something that creates an opportunity for them to run a company, not have a job, yeah. but run that company in a way that allows them to have freedom, whatever that means to them. I think that more people would care more about systems. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just oh, think- Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what I got really clear about. Luckily, was that thing about, you know, I don't want a job. And I was like, okay, well, if I don't want a job, how am I going to do it? Um, I can't just expect everybody to get it, you know, by osmosis. I can't everybody <laughs> expect everybody to duplicate or replicate what I do as if anybody ever could, right? Um, so how do you just lay a framework so you can produce that consistent result? And by the way, the one thing I love about what you do, um, so when we met, what, what struck me about you was you weren't a science geek, but when you were talking about doing Facebook ads, I've never heard this before. You said... Um, I'm about looking for a predictable way to create revenue for people. And you mm. said that most people, when they get into digital market and they do Facebook ads or whatever, it's com they're completely run by emotion, right? Yes. Like one day it's like, well, I'm going to do a bunch of Facebook ads and make a bajillion dollars. And then they, they kind of throw money at it um, and it doesn't work out. And then they get ticked off and they make up something about, well, Facebook doesn't work or digital marketing doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Well, no, the reality was you were just undisciplined in your approach. Mm, yes. Right? It's like going to the racetrack and throwing a bunch of money at the ponies, right? And expecting to have it big. Right. You don't have a strategy. No strategy. And that's what I loved about your stuff was it was all about strategy and it was all about what worked. And in my business, and especially in the coaching work that I do now, um, I don't care. If you told me I, I could wear a clown suit every day and come to work and I would produce the result I wanted, I would wear the clown suit. I wouldn't care. <laughs> right? Like whatever it takes. Um, and your thing was, I wanted that. You, you, you said you could see the predictability between what you do in the Facebook ads and the result that it produces. And for me, it was like, all right, game over. Because that mm. then is an objective process. It's not a, you know, a hit, like in golf, you know, you hit it, hit it and hope that it goes where you want. Mm -hmm. um, yours, was, yours was very systematic, which I loved. Yeah, I find that, so I'm, I'm a very systems-driven person. Um, I like order and things to have a system. I'm not necessarily a rule follower, though. I only, actually, yeah. I only like rules if they make sense to me. But if they don't make sense to me, I don't like them. <laughs> but systems I can get behind because, it, and, and it is, it's like when you said like, like I'm not, I've never considered myself like a, like a 
a big science person or even a math person or anything. I always joke that like, I'm really not good at math, but my mind, the way that my mind works is in systems and using systems to solve problems and, and have predictability. And when you can apply that to your marketing, I think people look at marketing and they, and yes, you want it to be emotionally charged, like your copy and things like that, your message and things like that need to kind of be more emotion-based, but the way in which you approach your marketing and put a plan together, um, needs to be more systematized if you want to have predictability. And so I'm all for systems. I, I love, I just love predictability. I don't, I, I'm, I'm a risk taker, but I also get a lot of joy and fulfillment from something when I can be like, this is what's going to happen. And then it happens. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I love your distinction there about you want the emotion in your marketing, right. And then your copy, cause that's what moves people. Numbers are, whatever don't move people so you want that emotion in your copy but you want the discipline and the strategy and the system behind it so that it produces the result you want absolutely yeah mm. i think if more business owners looked at it like that they'd have more success in their marketing for sure yeah and how do you i'm just curious to like the i use this concept called game film and it's just i mean we took it just from sports a lot of people do marketing or take on a strategy on, on anything really and then they don't go back and look and see what happened. They just either get like, yay, we made a million dollars, or yeah. pissed off because they didn't get what they wanted, right? Um, nobody stops and goes back and looks objectively about, okay, well, what worked about that? Yeah. Um, and that, by the way, that's my whole philosophy in working with anybody these days is to put a, put a strategy in place, actually go execute it, so go play the game, and then stop and take a look and go, all right, what worked, what didn't work, and then what's next? Yeah, I feel like people tend to do that more when something didn't work. They might go, why didn't it work? But where pe business owners fall short is when it does work, they just celebrate and they don't yeah, right. go back and go, but why did it work? Right. And there's a lot of power in knowing, obviously, why it worked because then you can duplicate that. What's, what's great when you know why something didn't work is you're like, oh, well, we won't do that again. But now you just know what you're not going to do. And I think it's really important that when things are going great in your business, you stop and look and you go, why? Why is it going great? You know, and, yeah. and because then you can create something that is systematized and predictable. Listen, here's a perfect example, and it's a real kind of layman's example. I worked with a, a commercial HVAC company one time, and the CEO, I asked about marketing, and this guy was doing probably, like, let's say, $4 million a year in, in, in work, um, and he wanted to try and double. And I said, well, what are you doing for marketing right now? Well, I don't do any marketing. <laughs> I go, okay, well, how do you get work? <laughs> um, he goes, what? Well, I got, you know, every time I go out and I take a, a chief engineer from a large commercial building, I take a chief engineer to lunch and then usually predictably like less than 10 days later, I get a contract for roughly $50,000 to fix something. And immediately I stopped and I went, time out. I go, how often do you have lunch? Right. He goes, well, once in a while when I'm not busy or whatever. <laughs> so I said, good. So the plan that we're putting you on now, you want to double in sales. You want to go from 4 million to 8 million. Here's your giant marketing plan that's going to cost you nothing. He goes, what is it? I go, you're going to have a minimum of five lunches a week and a maximum of eight lunches a week. 
He said, well, how am I going to have eight lunches a week? I go, I don't care. Eat twice in one day. Uh, (laughs) And I'll be damned that within like three months, um, he wasn't tracking double in sales just because he was doing that. Because he just doubled down on what was working. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is that I think, and and like we, we do, I can hear you share that story and our listeners will be hearing you share that story and it'll seem so simple, right? Like, well, that was simple. Do more of that. And their minds don't go that. I I was at a conference recently and I was sitting at a table and, you know, each of us had to kind of go around the table and share our challenges. And one of the business owners at the table owns um, physical therapy practices, two physical therapy practices in Florida. And, you know, they were like, oh, do you think we should do Facebook ads to get more clients? Like, and again, because they're in Florida, they tend to have a very seasonal business because they get a lot of the elderly when they come to the snowbirds, right? That like come down there. So they'll be really busy during like the winter season. um, And then it kind of dies off. And they're like, we want to get more predictable with our sales and our clients that are coming in so that we don't have this big dip each year. And, you know, I was asking them what they were doing already to get clients. And I said, well, here's the thing, like a surgeon, he does surgery, he fixes injuries all year long, right? Like it doesn't matter what month it is, somebody's getting injured, whether it's a kid who plays football or, you know, like someone who twisted their knee on the, you know, like there's all kinds of things that happen year round that have nothing to do with snowbirds. And so I said, well, you know, what are you doing to build relationships with the surgeons in the area, the big surgical centers to have them refer clients to your physical therapy practice? And they're like, oh yeah, we, every once in a while, you know, we will, we'll go to an office and we'll meet with a physical, you know, a surgeon and, and we, you know, that usually works really well. We'll get, you know, um, referrals that way. We'll get clients that way. And I'm like, okay, well, how often are you doing that? <laughs> And like, well, you know, we're really busy, you know, so maybe we'll, we'll do like once a month or something. And I'm like, but every time you do that, you get new clients from, and I, so I said, well, how many people in your office could go visit, you know, a, a, a surgical practice in the area? And they said, well, we have four people who could do it. I said, okay. So if every single one of you went one, even just once a week, if each of you sure. went once a week, that's four surgi- surgical offices a week, that's 16 a month. If you did that every month for like six months, what would that do in your business? And it seems so simple, but if you're not looking at what is working and say, why is it working? You'll never discover that simple strategy that could be right underneath your nose. See, you you hit something on something so powerful there, Adrian. It's so simple, but as human beings, we're complicated Mm. monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) we really i mean we much prefer complexity oh yeah there must be a really big complex super powerful answer that i haven't found yet no call on four use four people do it every week and you said the magic words there you said when you asked them um how often do you do it and they said every once in a while yeah well that's not a system right that's like that's that's like hit and miss and if you did it every week or every month to you know and even a system for me can be like, the, what's the most sarcastically small thing that you can do to make it a system? So you don't say, oh, we're going to go from calling on one person a month to calling on 27. Well, that's probably not going to work. But you know what? We could call on two a month. Great. Start there. Right. right. And, and, then, and then move it from there. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I think people get stuck in the, um, there's, it's too big 
of yes. a task to take on. And so they just sideline it. And, and if you can chunk that down and say, okay, well, what's something that you could do that's one simple thing that just moves the needle forward? There you go. Perfect. And you know, yeah. for me, I'm always looking for what's the on-ramp to get people moving, right? Like I did, and maybe we'll talk about it later, but I did this Mount Kilimanjaro program. Um, the, the mountain looks absolutely huge, right? When you're standing looking at it, you're like, how the hell am I ever going to climb that? But mm-hmm. you know what? You could take the, those next two steps and then your brain goes, and this is the complexity thing, your brain goes, oh, no, that's too simple. That's not going to make any difference. Hmm. It really isn't. But the reality is, is if you did it every day, um, you'd probably have the results you want pretty quick. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought up the Kilimanjaro project because I want to talk about that for a minute because I think it's, it's really, really cool what you're doing and taking someone up Mount Kilimanjaro. And I know that you've got a um, project coming up next year. So could you talk more about what the Kilimanjaro project is? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, in a nutshell, I've combined, um, I was going to say the metaphor of climbing on 19,000 foot mountain, but it's actually not because we climb it. Right. Um, <laughs> You're really so, doing it. Yeah, we're actually literally, literally going to be doing it. So it's taken, Mount Kilimanjaro is in Africa, it's 19,341 foot high. Um, and it's a nine month coaching and training program where I take an entrepreneur or entrepreneurs and whatever it is that they want to create over that next year, we combine it with that. We actually go into Africa and climb in the mountain. And I like to do what's called three summits on it. Mm. So the first summit is, you know, there's this thing about, well, when you get to the top of the mountain, then life's going to be better, right? right. Um, then you'll have everything you want. But the reality is that's not true. You touch the top and then to a certain extent, it's kind of like, oh, now what? Um, right. So I build that first summit in where we say, all right, what, what can you get done? So for example, the guy that I took on the last uh, project, um, he'd been jimmy jacking around with a software program that he'd been trying to install for like or build for the last five years. Um, and before we en- went to Africa, we took that on as a project and he actually got that complete before he went to Africa to climb the mountain. Um, mm. So we spent three, four, five months getting ready to go, doing all the training, taking on a, a project in your business and in your life. Um, then we go climb the mountain, which is awesome by itself. Um, and then on the backside of it is once you've summited that, um, what do you want to create on the backside? So there's that thing where we talked about a little bit earlier about, okay, now what? You've done something that worked. Um, what are you going to transfer that into next? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I love that. And I love when you said like, that's such a good metaphor for life and business in general is that you always are, we're reaching, shooting for the destination, right? Like when I get there, when I get to the top of the mountain, when I achieve this, when I do this, I'll have arrived, I'll be happy, I'll have, you know, be fulfilled or whatever. And those of us who've been in business for any amount of time, and you've obviously been in business much longer than me realize that, and, and in life, it, it's like really the lesson and the joy and the fulfillment and everything is the, on the journey, on the yeah. way yep. to the destination. Cause it's you get right, to the destination right and you're like, now. it's done. Yeah. I mean, it's right now. It's like, if you can, if it's an entrepreneur, if you can't get the opportunity that's in front of you, like this particular day, right. Then you're nuts. Cause it's yeah. not coming anytime in the future. This is yeah. as good as it gets. Um, 
and I, I don't know where I got it from, but I had this thing about, maybe it just came to me where it said, all right, you've got a sunrise in 24 hours. What are you going to get done with them? Mm. And obviously you want to use that 24 hours inside a backdrop of what it is, backdrop of what it is that you'd like to create with your business and your life. Um, but it's all about right now. It's all about today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, we spend too much time and I know I've done this. This is just such a lesson that I've learned in my life, but I, I've made the mistake in the past of saying like, well, when I reach, you know, this amount of revenue in my business, I'll be happy. Or I reach this <laughs> amount of revenue in my business, right. I'll be happy. And the thing is, is that you get there and you kind of look around and you're like, oh, yep. okay, now what? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and it's, if I, if I was ever just satisfied with achieving that, how much more would I be missing out on life? if I didn't continue to, to up that or to challenge myself. And, and for me, it isn't about, um, it isn't about a, a, how much money I can make. It's about how far can I take this thing? How, how big of an impact can I have? How much can I do with this? And if you're always um, looking at your goals, the, the, the goal, like the, the, the goal itself isn't the only thing that you should celebrate or and it shouldn't be the only time you do celebrate. It's all those things you had to do to get to the goal that actually matter more than the goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do this thing called um, every night before I go to bed, I do magic moments. Mm -hmm. um, it takes me like 10 seconds. I, I just sit down and I review the day and I go, all right, what great thing happened today and, 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 and what caused that? And it could be something as simple as like, you know, like today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed tonight. And right before I go to bed, I'm going to go, I had a great interview podcast with Adrian this morning. That just set off my day like, you know, fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a lunchtime soccer game coming up today. Um, I've got dinner with my wife coming up when I'm done with work today at 6.30. You know, that, th those little tiny things like every day, that, that's what adds up and makes a life. You know, who gives a crap if you hit your target? Because like yeah. you said, you had it once and then you're like, okay, no one. Right. I love the magic moment. A lot of people talk about having, a, you know, a morning ritual or a morning routine, but I do the same thing. I, I actually do more stuff in the evening versus the morning. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And it's like reflecting on what happened that day, what I'm grateful for, what went right. And even sometimes what I'm going to do differently the next day. Um, but yeah, the evening time for me is, um, that's my thing more than the yeah, morning. Like that. Yeah. So Kevin, I, <laughs> this has just been like 40 minutes of awesomeness. I think we've touched on so many different things that I know a lot of people are going to have some aha moments and some golden nuggets and just really um, some life changing stuff. But I'd love to know, um, what your focus is right now? What are you putting your energy into right now? I know that you've got like a weekly newsletter you're working on, like, you know, power players, they set their goals high, but they're focused on that journey and achieving it. So I'd love to know what you're working on right now. Yeah, right now for me, so coaching practice is completely full right now. Um, I have 18 full-time clients. Um, that's going great. Kilimanjaro projects coming up for 2020. Really excited about that. And then if you're listening, this might be fun. Because I started writing a newsletter about a year and a half ago. It's called Ready for Monday. 
and it goes uh, every Sunday morning at six o'clock Eastern. Mm. And my only intention in life period is to be useful. I mean, I figured out what my mission was a long time ago. And that's it. I don't even care about being happy. Well, I kind of care about being happy. Um, well, being useful makes you happy. But being, that for me, being useful makes me happy, right? Yeah. That's what I want to do. So that newsletter um, goes out. There's no sales guff in it. It's just pure, um, here's what I see. Here's what might be useful. You might want to take a peek. Um, and I've lo- loved writing it. It's been incredibly challenging to write because I write them fresh every week. I don't put any in the can. So mm-hmm. it's kind of walking a tightrope. Um, which is actually, believe it or not, that the joy that I get from doing that and the challenge that I get from doing that feeds into everything else that I do. So anyway, that's something that if you were smart and you couldn't afford to work with me one-on-one, if you read that newsletter every week, and some people have told me this, um, you could produce a ton of results just out of reading the newsletter and never yeah. coaching with me. That's awesome. So how can people get your weekly newsletter? Super easy. Just go to waldronleadership.com. Um, and I think it's on the top section under your blog or newsletter. It's pretty easy to find. Great. Well, Kevin, I just want to thank you for being on the show today. I know our listeners will be moved and motivated by what you shared with them. You are a power player, Kevin. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was my pleasure. Great being with you, Adrian. Thanks for listening to Power Players in Business and Life. Be sure to click subscribe. To learn more about Adrian, visit www.wearepowerplay.com. We'll see you next time.